Hello, and welcome to the Heathen's Journey podcast. I'm your host, Siri Vincent Clough, and I'm so glad you're here. This is the show where I explore heathenry through a queer lens. We will be talking about traditional witchcraft, runes, folklore, and so much more. Join us, won't you, as we journey to the ends of the Nine Realms and back. Hello, and welcome back to the Heathen's Journey podcast. I am so excited for the interview today. I think it's going to be fantastic. But first, I just wanted to touch base with you all. It feels like it's been genuinely forever since an episode of The Heathen's Journey came out. But really, it's only been the standard two weeks. But um, just so much has been happening behind the scenes at Northern Lights Witch. And I am finally coming up for air. The Radical Runes course has officially started, and we've got a beautiful cohort of students joining this round. I'm also getting ready to kick off the Witchcraft Immersion uh, signups for next year, and I'll be talking a lot more about that later, but just know that I'm doing a lot behind the scenes right now. Um, This is my favorite time of year. I love September and October and November so much. I love autumn. I know that I'm like that basic white witch (laughs) saying that they love autumn, but here we go. I just do. I've always loved it. I've always loved the kind of like regathering of yourself and picking up your energy right where you left off that Virgo season gives us. And, um, you know me, I'm an academic. I love school. So back to school season has always been fantastic for me personally. And if you hear anything in the background, any little jingling, it is my cat, Mr. Wednesday, who's decided to tear around the recording studio, aka my bedroom, in a bid for attention. So just know that that's happening. I don't have too much else to say. I think as the kind of fall harvest ceremonies um, and rituals kind of come up. I'll be talking about those a little bit more on the podcast. Next time, we will be talking about Ansu's, uh, since we're getting into the the runes again. Um, although I will be adding in more about general heathen practices, as well as general trodon practices. Today's guest is Johannes Gordbeck author of Troll Dome and a Troll Cunning. So I had the pleasure of speaking with Johannes a couple of months ago, and honestly, he's incredible. The work that he has done to document uh, Scandinavian folk magic is absolutely incredible, and I think that you're going to really enjoy hearing from him. So I just wanted to give you a little bit of context before we get into the interview. A lot of um, people kind of assume that heathenry uh, covers, you know, kind of all magical practices. But really, there's this completely unbroken practice of folk magic called Trolldom in the Scandinavian countries. 
And it is this practice that we're talking about in today's episode. Of course, it does have, you know, some relation to the Viking and pre-Viking era heathen practices. And it is also informed by, in some ways... Actually, no, it's not even really informed by Asatru today, because Asatru is more of a new religious movement than Troll Dome, which is more of like a folk magic. So here we're talking about magic in terms of let's get something done, and less in terms of, all right, we're going to get something done and venerate the gods at the same time. And I think that Johannes has a very interesting perspective on that. So without further ado, I'm going to leave off and introduce you to Johannes Gordbeck. Welcome to the podcast, Johannes. It's so fantastic to have you. Um, So I was introduced to you by Minta, who was on the podcast a couple of weeks ago. Um, So uh, why don't you kind of start out by uh, telling our listeners a little bit about you. I will also do a bit of a, I've also done like a little bit of a preview um, in the intro to this episode, but why don't, in your own words, why don't we hear from you? Oh, yeah, well, I have been working as a professional uh, practitioner for 27 years now, I think. Crazy. Um, And, uh, of course, with all kinds of clients and all kinds of cases. And I decided to write a book one day about Trolldom because it was not forgotten in the countryside here, but people didn't want to talk about it very loudly. Uh, And the international community had no idea about it because they think it's all Asa true things and then Christianity and they had no magic at all. Common people's story is not told. Common people's practice are not uh, lifted out, although it's still here. Uh, so, so that's what I decided in 2015, 14. Uh, and I have been teaching uh, for the past years quite a lot, uh, apprentices, and, and I decided to make a bigger online course uh, earlier this year. Um, yeah, that's it. So mostly I'm not accustomed to this kind of settings. I'm more accustomed to actually <laughs> doing the work and sitting alone in my little shed. <laughs> yes, uh, solitary work is a huge part of it. So I just finished reading... Uh, your book yesterday, and it was fantastic and illuminating in a lot of ways. Um, We were kind of talking before we hit record about um, how, you know, that kind of tension between like Asatru and Christianity as kind of the perception of the faith um, in Scandinavia and how a lot of the uh, trolldom formulas were not uh, written down or um, are not put out in the world in the way that you have done. Why do you think that is? Well, I think because uh, as we talked about before, people in the old days had, they didn't have the time, they didn't have the education to, to uh, make up big stories about things. 
So that's one reason. They wanted to, if they had a problem, they went to someone who could fix it. And that's it. Right? So that's one part of it. The second part is, of course, especially for uh, Americans, Scandinavian Americans, uh, I think that religion plays such a big part in your lives. So approaching these matters from a religious perspective, you'll meet not much of it rather than you meet a lot of Christianity. You'll meet some, uh, what could be called Arthur True, and you actually meet some pre-Arthur True uh, ingredients, right? Uh, people think that the history of Scandinavia is the Viking Age. Well, that was what? 250 years. And out here we have mounds who are like older than the pyramids. So we have a long, long, long history of culture and different layers. And it's, we're not so much religious, I would say. It's more of a practical nature. If we use Christian words, if we use Asa gods, the Vani gods, doesn't matter so much to us. The matter is the problem goes away and we can continue doing whatever we love to do. I think that your book, in a very interesting way, um, uh, bridges the gap between, you know, the... Um, pre-Viking era um, and then the Christian era and then um, Asatru coming in later. Um, I know that a lot of people who are active in Asatru faith or uh, heathen faith here in America, at least, have had really bad experiences with uh, Christianity. And so they're not necessarily willing to write down you know, the spells that, uh, or, well, I call them spells, but um, the troll formulas um, or other folk magic practices, because they often do reference the Virgin Mary or um, Jesus as much as they may reference Tor. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so um, I think that your book in not shying away from that does a really good service of um, actually preserving a lot of this tradition. So how did you learn? Oh, you can speak well, let to me, that. Let, let, let me explain one thing. Um, reading a historical document is kind of taking a snapshot of a certain period. Um, you'll find a lot of Christian uh, elements. So if you're reading a historical document, a spell taken from 1650 or something like that, of course, the surrounding culture is imbued by Christianity. It's forbidden by law to say anything about heathen faith or Arthur true, God forbid, right? Um, they'll burn you. They'll kill you. They'll put you in prison. So, of course, they don't write things like that down. Um, but once you know, you practice the tradition, once you understand how a troll formula is used, how the mind is set up when you speak these words. And it's exchangeable. You can use any kind of deity or no deity at all. Many of these 12 formulas have nothing to do with deities, Christian or pagan, right? And you'll know how to formulate yourself. So I hope people won't, but because you're seeing a historical document, like my book, for example, which is the description somewhat of the tradition, from, from uh, 1940s and back, just because you see all these 
Christian formulas. They are there because they are authentic. They're taken from this time. Um, that doesn't mean when you're a practitioner that you cannot change it. Include whatever deities you want, anything like that, because we are aiming for it to work for something. We are not aiming it for worshipping something like that. No, we're aiming it to take away the ache of this person or the malicious spirits that are tormenting them. That's what we're aiming for. And that, that kind of shifts the whole thing. Right? Absolutely. And you even say in the book, um, you talk about how uh, people create their own formulas or their own, the, their own way of uh, incanting or casting all of these things. And teachers often will not teach their formula. They will teach the, um, they will teach the bones of it. So can you speak to that a bit? Well, if you ask what's the most popular formulas today, you'll get no answer from anyone. Because the tradition says if you teach your formulas, they lose, you lose the power to use them, right? So no one's willing to say anything. What kind of formulas might they be using? Well, they might have taken from historical documents, right? And used the same formulas, but you'll never get to know that. They might have read it in a book, uh, or it's uh, given it orally by someone else, but you'll never get to know it. So, and it's also they, make, they can make up their own based on this kind of a poetic format right? Not exactly like Galdralag, for example, the old verse format that used in the sagas, but there are other sentences, for example, that often can be used to begin uh, a troll formula, some sentences that can be tossed in in order to reinforce it in various ways. So in that way, you can build your own. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that you also lay out a very interesting, you know, you refer to them as formulas because there are specific um, ways that they are spoken. Uh, so such as um, in, the, in the book, uh, you refer to... The, the way you read them? Yes, yes. Post? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You see, if you have something in your mind... If we, if we think very simply, you have something on the inside, it's not coming out. Um, what does it bring? What, what does it, what lets it out? Well, it's the sound of my voice, of course, but with the sound comes also the breath. So in order for something in the mind to come out, you'll have to put the breath on it too. So it's kind of made physical, if you want, or encapsulated in something physical. So this is the reason why we read things very close when we want to read into some kind of liquid or something like that, or we blow into it various ways. So that's, that's one, but it's not, it's very simple. It's, it's, it's like all magic mimics nature somehow. The formula is just the kind of vessel. And that vessel is of course, um, culturally bound when enough people use them. So these, these formulations are well spread, or the, the verse, verse uh, what's it called, the poetic, uh, the poetic shape that we put them in, 
Oh, the poetic meter. Yeah, 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 yeah. That becomes a cultural uh, kind of thing. Uh, but the more important thing is to look, you know, towards what's going on in nature, and we kind of mimic that with our minds and so on. Makes sense? Yeah, it does. And I also think that there's something really important um, in what you've been talking about. Uh, you need to know what you want when yeah, you're going yeah. to to do the troll formula. You need to you need to know inside like what you want in order to speak it um, into existence. Yeah, um, more, you need, more importantly, you need to know what you mean because it's the meaning that that you're trying to get it, put it out of yourself that comes from the mind right so actually the the words themselves they can be important but they're the mo- not the most important the most important is the meaning and that meaning can be expressed through the sounds uh, and we can we can anchor these sounds into nice little lettering they can be runes they can be latin letters they can be any kind of thing so it's like, um, no. Yeah. So there are some traditional kind of poetic and literary structures within troll formulas um, that people can adapt, right? Because your teacher is never going to teach you their specific formula, but they may teach you the structure. So what are some of these formulas? Well, I think one of the most uh, useful ones is um, the as true as formula. As true as this phone falls to my lap, as true shall you be happy for the rest of the day. So we kind of link this because it's kind of a loop. This, it's true that it falls in my lap, so that will be true too. Kind of link these two together. As true as this branch is broken, as true shall the luck of that hunter that I, whose shot I just heard also be broken. As true as I take this liquid in my mouth and spit to the ground, as true shall I also be cured from this ailment, and so on. And it's a very simple thing of, of uh, it's, it's very simple to kind of use it because it makes sense. And to your mind, now your senses, you see the phone falling down. And you ask yourself afterwards, did it fall down? Yes, it it fell down. Well, so will my spells. So when you ask about your spell internally, will it work? Uh Well, now you linked it to something that you perceive, it actually fell down. So your mind won't go there again and go like, oh, oh, does it work or not? And And you go in and you meddle in the mind with the spell. Of course, there are others, like the meeting spell. It's like uh, using a power that's greater than yourself. For example, uh, someone walks on a road, usually a holy person. It might be Odin. It might be uh, St. Peter. It might be three maidens. It might be the almighty dead Norn, whomever. And they meet something. And this something is something malicious or has a malicious intent in some sort. Uh, and they ask them, just have a little conversation, where are you going? Uh, yeah, I'm going to hurt the farmer over there and I'm going to kill his cattle and bite his sheep and all that kind of thing. 
Well, says this mighty power, you shall not. Instead, you should go and bite logs and rocks and things over there. So be it. As true as I've spoken these words, as true shall you this happen. So that's another kind of formula. Um, And it's interesting, of course, with these deity things, because we can create in our minds very easily a power greater than ourselves. We cannot identify as a person who does it, but we can easily identify something that's greater than ourselves and fill it with a lot of content. What if we can take that thing out of our minds and put it into a liquid or something? That would add even more, right? So that's why these formulas of the beating types with all kind of holy persons or powerful persons are, are so popular. So that's, that's, that's two of them. And of course, there are um, the most the most famous one, the Nine Sons of Nukhunden, which is generally regarded as the oldest one. Uh, and people talk about, oh yeah, Christianity and Asatru. Well, what about before that? What kind of evidence do we have of the goddesses and all the female deities? Well, this is might be a trace to that that survived. I, I think I put a few versions of this short formula in the book. Um, It speaks about uh, nine sons who carry the dead mother. They call the dead mother the Norn. Um, And they carry her to to around. And why? Because she can bind things. She can cover and hide things. So it's kind of used for protection. It's used for putting out fire and so on. but this Norn and the Nokunden and the sons, where does it come from? Nobody knows. The earliest trace is from Småland in Sweden in 1670-something, where an old lady was sentenced, of course, to, to die, and she repeated this in front of the, of the legislative assembly. But if we look at, for example, the Anglo-Saxon text, there is, there is a text by someone, Marcellus of Bordeaux, I think it was, in the crossing between the 4th and 5th century. He speaks about uh, the nine sisters of Nothe, right? Uh, and of course, this, this aches to speak about nurses, one of the oldest deities, female deities that we know about. Uh, Nurses is, of course, a Latinization of the name Njord. But how could it be? I mean, Njord in mythology is a male, right? So some say it might be his sister, the mother of Freya and Frey, right? Uh, Whose name is very similar. Uh, And that's Nurses. And that might be the norm. So this is a very interesting kind of formula, and it's very popular for all kinds of things. But it's all there if you if you just scratch a little bit. Yeah, and know how to look too. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I think we tend to overlook um, a lot of the folk uh, medicines or practices just because, like, people don't know how to kind of relate to them. Yeah. Um, which I think is also something that I wanted to talk to you about as well is 
So you have written, you know, this very historic text. You've taken, you know, the formulas directly from, you know, historic sources and printed them and kind of given an explanation. Um, And I think a lot of people struggle with folk magic because we live in a much more urban society now. So I live in Minneapolis, Minnesota, um, pretty urban. I don't own any cows. (laughs) Um, So a lot of these formulas, you know, perhaps don't uh, ring true for my life specifically unless I adapt them. So how would you speak to people looking to kind of adapt uh, the old trolldom or the old folk magic into a more modern setting? Well, to do so, it requires to go further back, leave all the materials, leave all the troll formulas, and start discussing what do we assume about magic, for example. Uh, Many people carry the assumption that uh, there's a supernatural thing. It's all supernatural, which means that we've been taught that we know nothing about it, right? We have no idea, and it's unknown to us, and all our references as human beings up until now is not valid here. And I think that's, that's the greatest mistake. So that's the first I would address. It's the opposite. It's all natural. All your, uh, everything that you've learned in your life, from talking to a person to the, on the bus, right, how to behave, all these things will help you greatly in magic. And once you understand that, you'll start understanding, okay, when do I need to address a power higher than myself? Well, maybe if I, if my identity is like this big and it's still caught in the ordinary reality, which is separated from supernatural reality, well, then we erase these borders a little bit uh, by practical samples. We, how do you know that you have spirits around? Right? Oh, I don't know. I sense them sometimes. Yeah. yeah, but tell them to go away. Do it now and notice if there's any difference. Notice before and after. Create contrasts in your life, right? How did I feel before I said this? How do I feel afterwards? Well, if I invite them in again, will that change? Well, you try it. And then suddenly you've discovered that, oh, I do have spirits around. That's interesting because it radically changed. The second they were all absent from my life, truly absent. You're not walking around with them. You're walking around with them all the time, but you've never noticed, right? So the, the, that's where we would start. And the second, uh, when we come into the cultural aspect, which is actually trolldom in this case, uh, we would talk about, okay, maybe you shouldn't look for uh, Thor, right? If you want troll formulas, because very few of them mention Thor. No, he's called Thor, for example. The name changes. Odin might be called Ud, and so on and so forth. Uh, And there you have them. They're just dialectal names. They've changed. People don't speak uh, the, the Swedish of, uh, that you hear in media, like Stockholm kind of Swedish, right? They spoke in dialects. If you understand that, you'll understand that 
if someone writes your words down, how they sound when they come out, you might be talking about Odin, right? But it comes out like Odin. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if someone writes it down, Odin, right? And that's how it's, and that's how you look for these things. They are all there. So that's one approach that I would take. And of course, I know I was criticized at one point for the spell in my book that, that requires to fish up a pike, piss in his mouth, and let it back in. That's <laughs> a cure. <laughs> and people said, oh, this is not, this is not for me. <laughs> <laughs> but if you understand what happens, when you do think about it and think about this huge fucking pike coming up with his teeth and you make all this effort uh, dedicated to one single objective to cure yourself from some ailment. And instead of just opening the medicine cabinet and taking out the pill, no, you're taking a fucking rowing boat, you go out, you fish and you have to wait for hours. Finally it comes. It's a struggle. You can't kill it. You have to bring out, well, place it somewhere very delicate. <laughs> and all these things. And that puts in a lot of energy into your work. Well, body, subconscious mind and body says, well, I put on all this effort. Well, maybe I'll change something, right? So the illness goes away. That's also so just a, that's a very um, old school folk magic, like... You know, yes, yes, yeah. You're going to find but, stuff like that all over the place. Yeah. Yeah, but you have to, but you have to understand this was their, this was their urban community, right? This, this was their everyday life. Now, if you, if you look into the principles of it, try to understand that instead of looking at, oh, okay, I need a pike, I need this, I need that. No. What was the idea behind this? Can you use that? Mm-hmm. And uh, and I would say that would be the right way to go about it. Of course, there's much, much more to it. And as soon as you've been schooled by someone who practices it for 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 not for religious purposes, not for social identity, but to actually do something about uh, various ailments, right, and problems. Then you'll understand how to apply all these things in other settings. Mm-hmm. So it's it's not it's not difficult at all. Only difficult if you if you look at these historical texts and you go like, wow, a pike. How the hell do I get a pike? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um yeah, I think that that's something to, as we've been talking, I've been thinking about the idea of correspondences as well. Um, and just, you know, the, the idea that, um, you know, when you look at a contemporary spell book, maybe they're calling on, you know, like you, you need to bless a moonstone for this, you know, particular spell or whatever it is. And the idea with correspondences is just that, you know, like, um, correspondences and sympathetic magic, if it looks like the thing, then it can stand in as a representative of a thing in ritual. Um, yeah. So well, thinking about that story about the, the pike, right? You know, like I would think, okay, I want to break this down. Uh, it's taking a great amount of energy 
uh, waiting time, you know, so it means that you're really dedicated to it. Um, so perhaps a similar, you know, formula that I might want to do would require more time as well as waiting for a natural, um, some kind of natural thing to happen, you know, whether that's catching a pike or a specific species of bird flies past or whatever it is. And then, you know, thinking about the act of urinating, like, okay, what does that mean? Um, what does that mean in this spell? I'm kind of breaking it down the ritual in those ways as like, okay, what, what is the correspondence to this? Yeah. I could just do it. You know, like I, that, that could be the length that I want to go to. Um, or I could think about ritualistically, how do I represent this? And what is the thing as it was written down originally representing? Yeah. I also think that with correspondences and uh, kind of that sympathetic magic, we get a little caught up in the materials of what you need for magic. Like, I always tell my students, no, you don't need the perfect silver cup. You don't need, you know, the moonstone or the uh, vervain that was um, collected on the third day after midsummer. You know, you don't need these things, but uh, I think it's our kind of consumerist attitude and uh, not necessarily seeing them as symbols. People think that it's, you know, the innate thing that you need. Um, And I know that this is also something that you think about a lot. Yeah, yeah. Well, the thing is that I've I've noticed that people make one common mistake. Uh, and it's taking themselves. We have a ritual, and we say that is a formula, right? They don't count themselves into the formula. And I mean, you can you can you can buy a book, and you can read it, but it's going to be your cooking, right? Your skills by the stove that's going to determine how it tastes, and if someone wants to buy it from you, right? Um, so taking yourself out of the formula is like not considering what is this moonstone going to reinforce, right? Uh, well, it's something within you during that formula. You're creating something in the realm of the, let's call it the mind or the spirit world, or it doesn't matter. You're putting these parts together. And you do so by anchoring it out here, helping yourself, and then releasing it. Well, it releases from the mind. The second you release it physically, because that's how we're most trained to release things. And if you understand that your mind is not, a, it's not an island that you're in alone, it's not only you in the realm of your mind, it's a lot of things. And it's not only you being the original source for it. Once you start understanding that, then you understand the material usages. Otherwise, it's just a never-ending hunt for things in which you think you have no part, the hunt for this supernatural kind of business. So taking yourself out of the formula is just a major mistake. It's sad also because it leaves you with nothing, right? Exactly. It discredits your own power. Yeah. 
So that was a really powerful place to stop here. Um, But let's just take a quick break um, and then we'll be back. Have you heard of the Troll Club? It's the best club around. Put together by Needfire Wellness, it's a customer club for new witches and seasoned practitioners alike. It is a resource to meet like-minded folks with a focus on magic. For $10 a month, members get access to monthly scheduled Zoom meetings and discussion with Q&A with Minta Carlson, 15% off all physical products and 20% off all e-learning classes by Needfire Academy, a special Discord server, exclusive monthly giveaways and contests, and a monthly gift. You will also have access to early product releases. So you can just go on over to their website, which is needfirewellness.com, and go to Troll Club to sign up. This will be a great addition to your uh, rotating supplies and other magical needs purchasing. And be sure to tell them that Siri from the Northern from Northern Lights Witch and the Heathen's Journey podcast sent you. All right, see you in the club. We're back. So uh, another part of your book that um, was very interesting, particularly I'm a rune reader and a tarot reader by trade as well. Um, I want to talk to you about Tudor. How do you say it? Tudor. Tudor. Okay. Tudor. (laughs) Tudor. Which is basically, uh, so it's basically reading the signs and divining. Um, And I was really struck how traditionally Tudor needs to be done before every uh, formula, every spell. Um, You need to do Tudor. So uh, how do you, how do you do this? Um, And kind of what is the importance of Tudor to you? Well, if you go to a doctor and say, dear doctor, I have a pain in my stomach. And the doctor says, all right, pain in the stomach. I have the perfect remedy for that. But he never diagnoses you. He allows you to diagnose yourself. You who have no skills as to, uh, about the human body or whatever it is. Um, the remedy might not be what, what cures you, right? So taking Tudo is actually uh, looking with the professional eye upon you with the skills and the experiences of the practitioner to find out if there's something we can do for you with, with what we are trained in. If not, then we leave it to someone else. Oh no, it's, you have a pain in the tooth, you go to the blacksmith, I can't do it, right? Um, for example. So that's why it's, it's, uh, it's very important to assess the client first. And of course, if you're aiming for, someone says, okay, I want the moon. Can you fix me the moon? And you think that, yeah, I'm a, I'm a 
ma magic practitioner now. I should be able to fix the moon, right? So you do your little spell to take down the moon to your client, and it will, of course, it will fail, right? And then you think, oh, my either magic doesn't work or there's something wrong with me. Suddenly you're in the picture again, right? Uh, but that's not a good way to go about it. Good way to go about it is uh, take Tidur. Is this a problem that I can do something about, right? And of course, you look at all kinds of signs. You look at the face of the person, everything about them, their story that they bring you. And then if you're trained, you might look at other things. If you can discern spirits around them that has a... Uh, uh, I wouldn't say bad spirits because it's only their, what they're doing towards this person might be not so good for them. If you look at that or you look into their body and see if you can see any fault in their organs of some sort. Um, so more like that. And if you want to have something to, some kind of outer mean to anchor this process, you'll use cards or you'll use runes or you'll look at the sky and look for birds or you'll go out on a little walk and everything that comes in your way will have to, something to do with that. Anything that catches your attention has to do with this situation. And you interpret that and you say, okay, yeah, I see there's something that I can do. Or you'll say, no, I can't do anything about this. It's not my field of expertise. You thought it was a bad spirit. No, it's, it's an ulcer. And it pisses you off every night. You're having nightmares because of this ulcer, right? It's interpreting it in the dream. Uh, so and I suggest you go to a doctor and find a good medicine for the ulcer. That's why taking Tido is such an important thing. Um, so what are some methods of taking Tido? You, uh, you mentioned some, of course, you know, runes, cards. These are things that are... Um, probably more familiar to listeners, right? But uh, um, I know palmistry or chiromancy is also a part of taking Tudor. Uh, what are some other methods? Well, the, the method that I use mostly and teach is Trollsyn, which basically means um, second sight. How do we use our second sight? Because any, everyone has it. But you'll have to know how to structure it somewhat if it not comes natural. And if it comes natural, well, how can you expand it? How can you relate it to what we're already doing all the time in life, right? But we didn't know that we can apply the same thing in this and get the result. How the hell can we look at the kidney fault or problem, right? Do we have to have cards? Do we need to look at birds? Do we need egg white? Do we need uh, to melt lead? And all these kinds of procedures that I described in the book. Well, maybe that, that's easier, right? Because we can look at them, but we might as well just structure our mind and look at the person in a certain way. So Trollsyn is, is probably the most common. And then everyone thinks that, oh, just because I got Trollsyn, now I'm invincible. Well, I can see everything. No, you can't. It's organic. If a person is protection, protected by something, you can't see shit. 
or you'll see a tiny glimpse. And if you don't pay attention, you'll miss that this person is protected. And you should look at this protection and see if you can get through it instead of just, no, this person is na 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 and bounce off to some story that you're making up. Uh, and there are techniques in, in Trolldom for this. Uh, you, you've probably seen looking through a self-grown branch that has a hole. That's a typical thing. There are other things too. But it's very structured around troll sites or troll scene. Um, melting lead is probably someone everyone's done here in Sweden. I just I had a lecture for a historical society once. Everyone was 70 plus. There were about 25 people, and I asked them different questions. What did I thought about their their trolldom practices? No one, no one wanted to know. We haven't practiced any trolldom. Well, I said, how many people have fed the tomte? Everyone raised their hand. How many people has done uh, this lead steeping divination on New Year's, New Year's Eve? Everyone raised, raised their hand. So it's all there, right? Um, but these are the, some of the common methods. Orsgong, the yearly walk, which is kind of a divination that you do once a year. Yes, yeah. I was going to ask you about Orsgong. Yeah. Traditionally, people do it once a year to divine how the year is going to be, what it's going to be like. But there's nothing keeping you from doing an Orsgong for anything. Okay, so some friend comes to you and says, am I cursed? And you say, okay, I'm going to go and take a walk and I'll be back in an hour. And you dedicate this walk to the purpose of, of her, to her, right? And to see what's going on. And whatever comes your way during a certain amount of time or a certain set boot, that will be Tidor, relating to that friend. And uh, you'd be surprised how accurate it is, right? Uh, mo most, not all, but most of my students do this uh, once a year at least. And I've heard stories about the coronavirus and all kinds of things long before it happened. Are there herbs or other things that you traditionally um, would maybe imbibe before an orsgong? I'm, I know I'm butchering the pronunciation. I'm so sorry. <laughs> uh, no, no, orsgong, that's fine. Uh, well, usually not. What, what you would do is that you dedicate some time before you set out. So some people uh, sleep in another, in the old days, they slept in the barn alone, not in the living house. And they went early in the morning. Uh, but but uh, basically that's it, setting some time to uh, really dedicate yourself to this practice. Again, time, like with the, like with the pike, right? Uh, very important element. And of course, there's other things, not herbs, but for example, silence. Mm. When the second you step, that's a kind of in all children practices, the second you step out to do something, step out of your house, you don't speak to anyone. You can't say hello to your 
neighbor. You can't say hello to, I don't know, Betsy or best friend that passes by. You can't answer your phone and these things until you come back home. And that's kind of creating a whole different space than we're used to. So it's more about these things than, than uh, using specific instances or stones or things like that. We have them, but they're in a separate area, not together with Orsco. But that said, modern practitioners, they mix up all kinds of things that reinforce the situation. So people can carry stones or amulets and burn incense and do whatever they want for them to make this efficient. Mm -hmm. So it's, once we talk about modern trolldom, it's not so bound to what uh, you should do traditionally and so on. No, it's bound to you being an efficient practitioner. If you are reinforced by beaver castoreum or this herb or whatever it is, then use it by all means, because you are the main ingredient in the work, mm -hmm. right? You have to step up, you know, on the scene here and show what you can do. Well, prep up, right? Don't be yeah. bound by, by things. So that's, that's more, it's more important to think about items and materials in that way. It's supposed to be reinforcing you. Don't make the materials so super important. It reinforces something in you, right? Because it corresponds somehow. So, so. Uh, yeah, I think it, um, it takes skill to, and, uh, building up your intuition because we all have it, right? Like we're all intuitive beings. Yeah, yeah. We can all see the signs. And the thing that I really like about this idea of no one, two people use the same formula or, you know, no one, uh, you don't have to do the same, use the, the proper herbs or, you know, you don't have to do all of that um, is that it, does reinforce that idea that it's within you. And that also is kind of, you know, doing the work, right? Like I have started, you know, writing down my dreams and kind of the symbols that are coming up over and over and over again in certain dreams. It's like, oh, maybe, you know, in this kind of dream, a raven, when, it, when a raven appears to me, it means this. Yeah. Which then means that on an oars gong, uh, you know, if I see a raven in real life, oh, perhaps it means this. Yeah. You know, it's, it's finding these signs and symbols and significances that are within our own psyche and being able to articulate them. You know, as a reader, yeah. um, sometimes stuff just comes through, right? You know, like when you're reading the cards and I'm like, okay, well, this is a three of pentacles, but like, I actually just really need to tell you this thing <laughs> that is yeah, yeah, not yeah. related to the card at all. <laughs> um, exactly. And it's, it's when you have those moments in readings or in divination when it's like, Oh, that's the real thing. Yeah. That's yeah. the, that's the reality there. Um, and I have a, I have a friend who always says my ancestors are just really loud and they need me to tell you this. Yeah. Um, and and I think also the, the, one of the worst things for people is actually the hard thing is not hearing these things. 
if you if you don't exert yourself, right, and assume that you're going to hear it by trumpets and I don't know what. But the hard thing is to have the guts to say it. Mm-hmm. Coming, I mean, let it come through here without any kind of filter. I observe something, and I'm just describing what I'm observing, and that's why you're paying me all this money because it seems to be true. It seems to be somehow accurate. Well, that's good. That's how it works. But people are like, oh, if I say this, I'm then I'm responsible for this. And who am I if I can do these things? Am I strange or weird? So the problem is the stories we make about it, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so it doesn't have to come with a... Uh, familiar magical story it has to come from your story like with the bird right and that's a mistake if you're looking for odin and you're looking for a very powerful like that and you miss the crow sitting outside oh crow is not an odin's bird right the raven right well if you've read the swedish folklore all crows all ravens and there's magpies and so on they're all odin's birds Right. For that's a, just a sample, but don't don't try to go with too much story about what this is about. You can be very skilled, highly trained in this, and very successful to some point. But there's always that case or this person or this situation where you're going to fail. Right? You're not never going to be invincible. It's not like the story of it. So, but the stories kind of scare us off and we look for these particular stories that have to do with mythology and so on and so forth. That kind of, we assume that this is the right. Like I would almost think in a 21st century kind of standpoint, unless you just, you know, like leave your phone at home or whatever, like the notifications that come in while you're on an Orsgong, you know, like, who texts you? They're probably going yeah. to be important during the year. Yeah. Um, or, you know, like what, like that uh, is obviously not going to be written about in any of these old books, but you know what, if, if I am taking Tudor and, you know, just like thinking idly or trying not to think, and then, you know, um, I suddenly hear from somebody that I haven't heard from in months, on that walk, I think that's significant. Of course it is. Yeah. Um, and who's going to determine that? You are. Exactly. What is significant to you during this walk? What draws your attention? That's it. It's not exactly. Most often, it's not going to be one of the Valkyries coming down from the sky, flapping their wings, and things like that. No, it's not going to. Don't don't. And that scares the hell out of you if that would have happened. You would never go to an Orsgong again. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, so people are very hard on themselves when it comes to these things, when they shouldn't be. Yeah. I think that there's also just something to be said for like the deep noticing that uh, the Orsgong and taking Tudor in general um, bring forward. You know, if you're expecting it to be the Valkyrie coming down, um, you know, you're going to miss the point. Yeah. Um, So I I feel like having, you know, 
very low expectations and being intentional about it. You know, and I think there's also something to be said if you do choose to, you know, I'm just going to leave my phone at home for this. Yeah. You know, that's, that's totally like, that's a fair choice. If you're not, you know, interested in like, Oh, what notifications come in are, are going to be like a part of the two door, you know, it's just more about like intentionality and how we, um, how we structure that. I mean, I would even think like, you know, um, roadkill, right. You know, sure. like, uh, coming across like a dead squirrel on the sidewalk. Yeah. You know, that's going to, that is also a part of Tudor, even though yeah. that, that might be a fairly normal experience. Um, it's also, the thing is also, I mean, you do readings for people and sometimes we might see things or things come up. The second we start thinking about them, this doesn't make sense. Mm, can I really say that if it does, how does it make me look and so on? Now, I won't say it. And afterwards, turns out if I've said squirrel to this particular person, that would have meant the world to them because that's what their loved ones used to call them or something like that. If you just let it through without judging, without thinking about it, that's how you train, right? Mm -hmm. And you if, if you don't have these expectations or let them stop in your mind and you trying to be a smart ass about it by, <laughs> uh, yeah, my interpretation is probably the best and the right and the correct one. No one, I don't see a squirrel around this person. They don't look like a squirrel person, right? right. So I won't say it because it's something wrong with me. If you keep on doing that, you'll never release the actually not very natural ability that we have to pick up on these things. So, right. so, so it's just a matter of having the guts to do it, which is, by the way, an important factor in them to have no fear when we do initiations and stuff. If you fear it, you, you don't stand a chance in this profession. Right. Right. It's interesting. Um, so I did interview my teacher, Kari Touring, for the podcast a while ago. And um, we talked about her as a professional vulva. Uh, and, you know, you say you're, you're not going to make it in this field or you're not going to make it in this area. Um, I do think that there's an interesting kind of like thing within Scandinavian practitioners of like, no, it's okay to make a living doing this. I know in the in the Wiccan community, at least in America, there is a very like we shouldn't charge for anything that we do. Um, you know, that's a sign that you're a fraud if you charge for what you do. Whereas most of the Nordic folks that I talk to are just like, that's yeah, job. <laughs> yeah. I, I have these skills and I'm utilizing them in this way. So how can you kind of speak to that as like, you know, you, you said at the beginning, you're a professional uh, practitioner, you have clients, you, you know, see people. How do you, how do you, what does that look like for you? Well, first of all, we're in a monetary economy, right? We need mm -hmm. to work. Simple as that. Uh, if we work, we get time because we get money and all that kind of stuff. Well, if you want to 
develop within this field, you have to be paid enough money to develop, to have the time and the energy to do all these things. Uh, and I think it's, for us, it's like, yeah, you go to a doctor and of course the doctor should be paid. He's not, you know, where should he get his income? There would be no doctors if no one were paid. They could have a, a benefactor that paid them. That's fine. Or any other sort, but they still need to survive somehow. Uh, and I don't think that's being uh, strange. We're not, again, we're not selling religion. Mm-hmm. We're selling a service, right? We're not uh, doing that. Even the priests are paid, right? Mm-hmm. What do they give you? Do they give you something? Do they promise you God exists and that you will meet God and all these kinds of things? No, they don't. You know what a priest does, and yet you go there, and uh, society pays for it because it's important. And I don't, I don't see the controversy. Of course, some people say, yeah, you shouldn't take money for it, only goods. Yeah, that might have worked 300 years ago. It doesn't work in an urban society. I can't use a goat. I have no use for a goat, right, in my apartment. Right. I don't like slaughtering goats, by the way. It's illegal if you don't take it to a slaughterhouse, all these kinds of things. So it's a matter of, first of all, can this person do something about my problem? My kid wakes up every night saying, grandma is standing next to him. Well, grandma died 15 years ago. It's causing me a problem because I haven't slept for a week now. Mm-hmm. Who do I go to in this situation? There's no one. Oh, yes, there's someone. You can go to this children practitioner or whatever they call themselves, right? That fixes problems like that. My farm burned down almost to the ground four times during 20 years. All machines are broken. And I think it's because... Uh, the neighbor tore down this 5,000-year-old monument in the 1940s and used the headstone for our front porch, right? Mm. Because as soon as I go out there, I get really anxious and all this kind of thing. Who can can I talk to even about these things? (laughs) Well, there you go. So I I don't think it's... um, and people, of course, if you have a curse put on you by uh, a moderately skilled practitioner, at least, most people feel it. There's something unusual going on. There's something that's not really mine. Well, go to a psychiatrist. What will they do for you? <laughs> they will drug you. Yeah, that's fine. Maybe they'll drug the demon out of you. That's fine. But if it doesn't go away, who do I see? And so on and so forth. So there's always a place for people like us. And for if we have the skill and talent to do it, we should give it to our community. Right? You can't, prom- you can't promise that your apples are, are good. It's up to the person eating them. But the person eating them have to buy them from you before they eat it. Right? If you're good at this, or uh, you have a calling to this or something like that, of course you should charge for it, right? Not doing it is not taking responsibility. 
you're not taking responsibility for the outcome of your spell. No, I just cast a little spell. No, it didn't work. Oh, oh, oh. No, you're not taking responsibility. And that's removing like a lot of the power that you have once you start taking responsibility. Oh, it didn't work. Well, at least you did your utmost. It will not work for everyone all the time. Maybe they come with requests that are impossible to fulfill. They don't really want it, but they're just using you as an excuse to keep on doing something else. You will never be able to make that spell work, ever. No one ever will. And ask any community of practitioners, they'll tell you this, right? So not having super high standards based on assumptions and stories about what this profession is like, because the clients won't have these. They don't think that you are, oh, Morgana or Merlin or some legendary character that they're going to see. No. They think you have something that, some skill or some knowledge that might help them. That's what they expect, right? And you shouldn't expect more than that from yourself. So that's a simple and good start. So charge some money for it. Absolutely. So this has been a fantastic conversation, Johannes. Um, and I always ask at the end of interviews, how can people follow you or you know, learn more about your work? Obviously the book um, is a big part of that, but um, if they wanted to work with you or learn from you, um, seek you out as a teacher perhaps, what, uh, how can people find you? Uh, well, uh, the book has a Facebook page which is where I find it amusing to post things mostly. Um, there is a website called Nordic uh, Magic with a little uh, binding, uh, what's, what's it called in English? It's binding symbol, nordicmagic.com. Oh, like a hyphen? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, okay. Uh, and there, that's the teaching side. If you want to learn, you go there and read up. Um, most of the, the course, the live course that we have, uh, which takes about a year, maybe a year and a half, is full currently, is annual. Uh, and you can become an apprentice, which is more like training these things rather than just learning. Uh, all the, those spots are filled too. Uh, but there's an option if you want to learn, which is called the archives. And it's on the site, and you can go there, and there's pre-recorded lessons that will take you through the basics and then continue into the children tradition and so on. As comprehensive as anything else, go there. Uh, and I'm on uh, Facebook. Uh, you could uh, go to my professional website, brutedoctor.se, uh, which I've used for a gazillion years. And... Um, just contact me and we'll talk about All right. Um, well, thank you so much for being on the podcast, Johannes. And um, perhaps you will be a return guest. Thank you. Well, thank you for, uh, for having me. Uh, it's been a pleasure. Yes, absolutely. All right. Bye-bye. Right. Okay. Bye-bye. And that is it for today's episode of the Heathen's Journey podcast. A huge thank you and shout out to all of my students and patrons for making this work available. 
If you want to become a patron and support the podcast, head on over to patreon.com slash northernlightswitch. I post full moon and new moon ritual guides, rune readings for each of the turning of the zodiac season, and so much more. If you would like to follow me in between episodes, you can find me on Instagram at northern.lights.witch or on Twitter at northlightwitch. Until next time, stay weird.